Well, welcome to Waypoint. Uh, my name is Blair. I'm glad you're here. I want to start by just saying thank you to a bunch of you who came out yesterday to pack boxes for our food drop. Um, some of you were involved in giving money to that. We uh, packed a, um, close to 1,000 boxes yesterday. Um, we support a local food pantry here, and normally the number of boxes that we would give them would uh, carry them all the way until May. This year, it's going to get them halfway through March. There's that many people who are uh, going to the local food pantry. 200 a week they're serving right now, uh, which is just an amazing number. And you were involved in that, and I want to thank you by either giving to the Christmas offering and coming working. It was really great to be a part of that. Thanks. Um, we're in a, a little mini-series. This is the last week. And the song that you just heard them sing, I've been jamming for several weeks now. Um, it sounds really good loud through headphones. Um, I can tell you that. I know for sure. And uh, like the first song that we played in this series, this song could have been played any of the weeks of this series. Because in essence, the answer is, if, if you want to know what you need, you need rescued by Jesus, straight up. So our first week when we talked about rejection, we said, listen, um, you go to Jesus when this happens because he's going to tell you you're valuable. Other people might have rejected you. They didn't see the value that you had. And yet we kind of shape our lives based on that rejection. Why would you let somebody who doesn't value you as much shape the direction of your life. So you go to Jesus. And then last week we talked about pain. You feel these moments of pain. And our, our gut response is, we're just going to bear this burden. We're just going to carry this and be tough. And instead, the answer was, hey, you need to take this to Jesus, the healer. He, he wants to come alongside that wound and figure it out so that it doesn't shape the way you live and think. And so the answer for those things is to go through it with Jesus. You, you step into these kind of things, and instead we often withdraw, we cocoon, we do all these kind of things to self-protect. And what we miss is they start to define our lives. Well, we have one more thing that we're going to look at today that does the same exact thing. If you, if you have an unhealthy response to this, it will shape and distort your life. And it, it's, un, it's like the other two in this. You're still going to need Jesus, but in a different way. That different way, um, we're going to explore together so that you can figure it out, and we'll go from there. Um, I want to start today 20 years ago. I want to go back to 20 years ago. I was facing a really interesting moment in my life. I was working at another church. Uh, I was in charge of all the connections, like any kind of connection kind of stuff I was involved with. And we were riding high on a really successful weekend. We had planned a retreat that we wanted to get 400 women to attend, and we had over 400 women. And because we knew we had that many women going to this retreat, we decided to shell out for a national speaker. I'm going to put her up on the screen. Her name's Lori. Yeah, my wife knows her because uh, Lori was pretty awesome. She uh, was energetic. She had a lot of insight. She was funny. She, think of the Energizer Bunny on stage saying stuff about Jesus, okay? 
you get the idea of how she was at, okay? Um, she was at this retreat with all of these women. And as the retreat was coming to an end, I was getting inundated with waves of feedback, all of it positive. And I realized in that moment that Lori was tapping into something in our church that I didn't have a good way uh, to help those ladies like find. I, like I didn't have a solution for this. And so I had an idea. Now here's, here's what you need to know. I have a lot of ideas. The problem is, I don't know if they're good ideas or bad ideas. And I've had experience with both. Like, sometimes the idea is fantastic, and other times, it's the worst thing that's ever been presented in the history of the world. And it all happened up here. I've discovered that sometimes I actually have to say the idea out loud, and somebody will take and change the idea enough to make it a worthwhile idea. Other times I've said ideas that are so bad that all it's good for is that it eventually leads to a different idea that's helpful. But I have ideas. And that's what had happened to me in this moment. I had an idea, and I didn't know if it was a good idea or a bad idea. I wanted to ask Lori if she would consider extending her time um, at our church and coming back and doing a year-long mentorship with 100 women at our church. Now, um, I realized that there were significant barriers to this. Probably the biggest one that, that leaped out to me was uh, the financial cost. It took 400 women going to a retreat to afford her one time. And I wanted 100 women to have her come back four times. The cost of that would be so astronomical, they couldn't afford it. So I came up with a, another idea. I thought if she came and taught on the weekends, then we could tap into the money that would we pay a speaker. I could, I could give her that. I could give her the money I could collect from the hundred, and I could squeeze the death out of my budget, and maybe I could make this thing work, right? Um, the problem is, I did not have any authority whatsoever to offer her teaching on the weekend. And so I'm sitting there going, I don't know what I should do. Like, the barriers were clear. I would have to present this to the church leaders, convince them to give up four weekends in the next year, pay her a significant amount of money for each one of those weekends. Then I would have to convince 100 people to put in money and to do this thing with her for a year. She could design the, like, the mentorship any way she wanted. I didn't care. Just, just bring something. Like once a quarter, and then on the off months, you could do it whatever you wanted. They would read, they would do whatever. But I also would have to um, was there's three, I had three barriers, right? I had to convince, oh, I had to convince her. <laughs> I had to convince her that this was a good idea without having all the details arranged for the idea. And that's where I sat. I felt like I was on this, like this balancing act. I think this could be a good idea. I could fall to my death. 
And I, I honestly wasn't sure what I should do. If I risk it and fail, this is going to mess up everybody. And if I don't, we could miss out. Uh, I'm recalling these things from 20 years ago, and if you know me at all, and if you came up and asked me about stuff that happened in my life two months ago, I, I would not be able to tell you anything. If you came and asked me, like any single name of one of my teachers that I grew up with, I don't remember them until college. I, th there's stuff that's not up here, right? But what I do remember are moments in my life that are significant, that have changed the way I think and act. And I knew that I was standing in one of those moments because the opportunity for failure was either going to cause me to back away and play it safe or I was going to take a risk. And I can honestly tell you, I didn't know what to do. Do I open my mouth? Do I say something? Or do I just let it go and ride the wave of this successful weekend that we've been having? Uh, because of that moment in my life, it's kind of made me sensitive to risks that other people take. And I kind of tune in. I, I kinda, I'm, I'm very curious about their choices that they make, why they do what they do. And just from observation and conversation, can I tell you this? This is what I think. I think most people, when faced with the opportunity to take a risk that could fail, even, even the possibility of failure, like it's not, it's not sure that it could fail, but because it's a possibility of failure, most people freeze. They just stop. I've concluded that this, this freezing that we do, is the best worst case scenario. It's fine. Like if you freeze, you can unfreeze, you can start moving again, you can evaluate, you can think about it, you can make some different choices. But I've also watched this temporary freezing become a permanent thing for somebody where they stop dreaming about possibilities. They stop asking what if. They stop considering anything that could result in failure. Here's the problem. As it turns out, failure and success travel together. If you want one, the other one comes with. And for many of us, because we've frozen we're never going to experience the success because we're so afraid of the failure. It makes me think of uh, the famous commercial that Michael Jordan made a long time ago. Some of you, it's, it's in your mind right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The rest of you need a refresher. Hmm, watch this. 
I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Now, I get it. At one level, you're thinking, yeah, he can afford to say that. He's got six trophies, right? If you're sitting on top of the world, you can look back at a little bit of failure and go, yeah, I can digest that. I had to, I had to deal with a little bit of failing so that I could have this great success. And so you might be willing to write him off, thinking, what about us nobodies? Like when we're facing down the barrel of failure, it's significant for us. I made a little list of things that I've heard people face down and they're really not sure what they should do. Do I take this risk or do I not? Because if I fail, I could lose my job. Do I take this class? It's really hard. And it's one thing I could fail a test, but I could fail the whole thing and have to take it all over again. I don't know if I want to take that risk. I've heard people struggle with a financial decision that they would make, afraid if they made the wrong one, this mistake could set them back for years. And they're afraid to make that choice, make that decision. Some people have set a, a big goal for their life. And it looks like they might miss it. And instead of recalibrating and setting a different goal, they think, why bother? Why set a different goal if I'm just going to fail? Forget it. I'm not going to do this. For others, it's a relationship. Man, this thing's going to fail and I'm going to feel the weight of that. I don't know what to do. I mean, it's easy for you to talk about failure when you're at the top. But what if you're not at the top? What, what if you're struggling at the bottom and you're facing down failure? Can, can I just say, the point of that commercial is not that he was at the top. It's that he had a viewpoint of success that included failure. I know this because I watched some interviews that he did, and he was utterly convinced that the only way that he could actually reach the success that he wanted to in his career was if he embraced the fact that he would have to swallow some failure along the way and that it wouldn't change the way he would like, give his effort and his time and his energy. I think, I think that's what he was onto. And yet, for us, like that view that you have of failure could set the course of your life. And I get it. I get why. I get why so many people struggle with failure. It could be that you, you have this fear of failure because in the past you failed. You didn't like how you made it. It made you feel. 
Like it left a bad taste in your mouth. You don't, you don't want to have that kind of situation happen again. And so you just commit that it would be better to play it safe than to stick my neck out. Sometimes you watch somebody else fail, somebody that you love, somebody that you cared for that was close. They took a risk and it blew up in their face and it looked terrible. It looked painful and awful. And so you decided, you committed, I'm never going to feel that kind of pain for me. I'm going to play it safe. For others, the failure that you're concerned about is a moral failure of some sort. You had one at some point in your past. You, you took that to God and God said, I forgive you. And he's even forgotten what you're worried about, but you still carry a little of that baggage of shame around. And there is this dread that you might have to add even more shame onto that. And so you just play it safe so that you don't have to risk any kind of failure. For some of you, you have this persona of perfection that you're not willing to risk. It's not real. You're not perfect. And the harder you hold on to it, the more you feel like a failure. So the harder you hold on to it, the more you feel like a failure. And it's a cycle that is eating you up inside. But it causes you to fear any kind of failure. Because somebody might see that you are, in fact, not perfect. For some of you, It's about respect. You feel like you've reached a place in your life where people respect you, take your advice, look up to what you've accomplished, and you don't want to risk losing that. So no more risk. No more potential failure. And your viewpoint, your relationship with failure is to hold it as far away from you as possible. And yet, and yet, the idea that Jordan had that if you don't embrace some level of failure, you will probably not embrace some level of success, I think is correct. The problem is, if you were looking for some encouragement, not one of you will be able to pick up the phone and talk to Jordan about that. Like, he's not going to be able to encourage you. But what's weird is that you could dial in to Jesus at any time, and we don't. And I think I know why. I think in some instances, like, let's take rejection and pain. We've talked about those the last two weeks. You could look at Jesus' life, and you could realize he has experience with that. He's been through the ringer. If I go to him with rejection and pain, he's going to get it. But how in the world do I go to him with failure when he doesn't know what failure is? Like, he's perfect. How do we do this? How do we have this conversation? Yeah, I, I want to remind you that Jesus was morally perfect. His character was such that he never made a, more, a moral misstep, never happened. But he came and took on an earthly body. And he took on, like he, he did a skill. 
He was a carpenter. That meant um, in, his, in his area, in his world, he worked with stone. Are you telling me that every chip of the stone that he did, he got right? He didn't make a single mistake? That's not how humans learn. We mess stuff up. You can make mistakes without it being sin. I'm confident that Jesus had those in his life. In fact, I'm so confident, I can take you to a section of Scripture where I think you could see a failure of his front and center. Again, not a moral one. This is a goal that he had that's clearly not working out. It's failing. Uh, Jesus had come. He had a mission. He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to be an example. He's going to spread the message of God. He's going to go be sacrificed. He's going to face death. He's going to beat death, and he's going to offer us life. This is what's at stake, and he's about to go down that path. He's in the garden, getting ready to face crucifixion and everything that follows that. And this is what happens to him while he's in the garden. This is Mark chapter 14, verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs. This is one of his guys. This is a guy he's been training, encouraging, building up, preparing him to be a leader of the church when he's gone. And he's betraying him for cash. That feels like a little bit of a failure. And you might think, hey, one out of 12. Like, you can't expect everybody. Like, there's some bad apples out there. Where's the rest of the guys? Oh, we find out in verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone decided we can't trust you. Everyone decided, I don't know where this is going, but this is not good and I'm not with you anymore. And one of his closest friends would stand near him in a courtyard later and say, I do not know this guy. Can we be honest and say, this goal that Jesus had to create a group of leaders who would lead the church after he was gone was in total disarray. This is failure city right here. It's unfolding in a horrible way. In fact, if you go on and read, if you go on and read and you see what happens, you're going to find out that the disciples all went back to their old lives. Peter goes back to fishing. He goes back to fishing. You know, we, we're down on these guys a lot, but just think about this for a second. He had, he had these ideas of what Jesus would do in the world, and then he stood there and watched him die on a cross. And the thoughts that had to be going through his mind, like, did I misunderstand what he was saying? Was I a fool to believe that something could be better? Did, did I, I'm, I'm messed up. Like, this is the biggest failure of my life. I am going to play it safe. And so he returns to the thing that he knows, and he's fishing. He's fishing. The problem is, just like you, Peter was never really built to play it safe. 
That's not, that's not the point. God's goal for us isn't for us to play it safe. It's to have adventures, to face difficulties, to find challenges, to dig into them, to find purpose and meaning by being involved in something that's bigger than ourselves. We're involved in God's kingdom and we listen to that. And we do things that are hard and difficult at times. Why? Because there's a place for us in God's kingdom to do that. And Peter and his friends, they're all playing it safe. They're fishing. Do you know what's running through Peter's mind? I think it might be best for the rest of my life if I fished and then I died. That's, that's good enough. It was not good enough for Jesus. He comes back to life, and he has a goal to get these guys back on the team. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to talk in broad terms. Uh, I was talking with uh, Austin about this series and he's like, man, you're talking about these things in broad terms. Yeah, I've realized that each one of these topics could have been a series of their own. And so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk in broad terms. And if any of those weeks kind of resonate with you, you should pay attention to that and lean in. Because there's a whole lot more than I'm able to cover during the time that we have. But I'm going to talk to you about what I think is at the core. Like at the core of the problem when it comes to us and our view of failure. What's going on? that causes this disruption in our lives, that distorts and twists us. And I would say at the core, at the core of this problem is that failure comes in and attacks your identity every time. It attacks your identity. You think to yourself, I'm not, I'm not sure what other people are going to think about me if I fail. What are they going to say about me? And you think that, that person of who you are is the most important thing to protect. Or it could be that you're concerned about what you would think about yourself. Have you ever talked to somebody who's said, I'm a loser, and they meant it? Like they, actually, they actually believe that, and they're walking around drinking that idea down like it's the smartest thing they've ever said, and they're killing themselves with it. Because their identity is this poison that they're taking. And they got it from some weird failure along the way. And now it's shaping how they think and live. We're concerned with all of these imperfections that we have. We're afraid that our character is going to be revealed as being a loser. We, we have this identity crisis and the problem is if we don't deal with the failure that comes into our life wisely, it overshadows everything that we do and starts to distort our view of life. That's why when Jesus finds the disciples back doing what they were doing, one of the first things he does is he addresses their identity. In John chapter 21 Jesus finds the disciples, makes a meal for them on the bank of the Galilee, and then three times reminds Peter who he was meant to be. Peter, feed my sheep. 
You care for my sheep. Dude, you're a shepherd, not a fisherman. That's the role I have for you in this world. And when you get it wrong, you miss out on the kind of life that I have intended for you. Peter had been exposed to a world that he had never considered possible walking around with Jesus for three years. And yet he was willing to give it all up and go fishing again because of his distorted view. He thought he was a fisherman. He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. And he was froze up, not moving, not accomplishing the role that God had for him. My friends, I don't think Peter's alone. I think some of you are in jobs that you hate. And if you were honest, you didn't even you don't even like them. It doesn't even like there's not nothing in you about that job that fits. But you're playing it safe. And that's good enough. Some of you have had opportunities pop up that you tried for. And it didn't work out. And as more opportunities have come your way, you've decided it's not worth risking this time. I'm not going to stick my neck out. And you're missing out on possibilities of what if, what could be. Because you've let fear convince you to play it safe. Some of you play it so safe You sit at home in front of screens and images day after day trying to dull whatever feelings that you have so that you won't realize how alone and unfulfilled you feel right now. All in an attempt to play it safe. Some of you haven't set an outrageous goal in years because you did that once. And it didn't work out. Why would you do that again? You know why you do that again? Because you were made for action in this world. Peter was made to act in this world. Do you want to know what happened? Jesus convinced him to realize who his identity was. And Peter and the rest of the disciples get on the team. And you might think that this story ends out horribly for them, but I think it's pretty incredible. Do you realize all of them, all of them but one, go on to so boldly witness for Jesus that they're all martyred? And you think, that's not a good ending of a story. It is if you're fulfilling your life mission, if you're on the adventure that God wants you on. And because they were going through failure with Jesus, they didn't care how it ended. They cared that they were with him. And so they tackled it. And their lives had meaning, and it changed the world because of the choice that they made. They were sitting there ready to fish until they realized who they were.
20 years ago, I'm facing a decision. Would I decide to give in to this sense of fear that I had? Because I, there were so many unknowns. It looked, it looked like a dumpster fire of an idea. Or would I risk and say out loud the idea and see what would happen? And I hemmed and hawed. And we had a meal, a little lunch uh, that we had with Lori right before she was going to catch a plane and take off. And um, I, I presented the idea. I just threw it out there. And, um, and she said this. I've never been asked anything like this before. I'll have to think about it. And that was the first moment that I thought, oh, we have a shot at this. Because people like her who are kind of bold and energetic, they like new things. And they're willing to take risks. So she said, I'm going to think about it. You go work on your end. So I went to the church leaders and I said, hey, I need four weekends next year for her to teach. And I need you to kick in this absurd amount of money. And they said, all you have is an idea right now. We're not doing anything if all you can bring us is an idea. I went to uh, the women and enthusiastic. We were going to get well over 100 women. And so then I waited. And I kind of waited. And what I got from Lori was an outline of a program that she had thought through that was, it was awesome. Like she had assigned readings. She had stuff that she was going to teach on. She had, like she was, she got into it. She was fired up. And so she sent that and she sent a contract that said, if you want to do this, sign here. And it was a very big number. Like it was significant. And I, I took that uh, back to the leaders and I said, okay, here's the plan. And there's the price tag that comes with this plan. What do you say? And they said, wow, she's serious about this. If she's serious about this, we're serious about this. We'll back this. And in a short period of time, this thing came together, and we had a year of ministry that changed people's lives. And I almost said no, because I was afraid that I would fail if I did that. And it was burned into my mind. So fast forward just a little bit. I'm here at Waypoint. We're wanting to build this building. And we're short. Like, a lot. We, um, we needed $300,000. And... Um, And I had an idea. And I don't know if these ideas are terrible ideas or brilliant ideas. But I'd had enough of an experience to know that that's not my job to figure out. God created me to speak them. And the idea was this. 
I would go to a group of people and I would ask them to give Waypoint a $300,000 loan for five years at 0%. Would you give up interest on $300,000 for five years? I went and made the ask. And you know what happened? They came back and said, we're going to give you $330,000. of that is a gift. You can just keep that. The other $300,000, we'll put it 0% for five years. I'd never even had that idea, right? Like that had never crossed my mind, which is the point of this. I don't get credit for that idea. My role in this is to do what God asked me to do. When I have these ideas, I speak them out loud and I take the risk. Why? Because it became apparent that that was God's idea because I never even considered that they would give money. Like that, that never even crossed my mind. But God had a plan. He just needed some person to trust him enough to act in the way they were created to be that's who I am. This is who I'm created to be. I have ideas. I just don't know if they're good or not. And I throw them out into the world, and then we find out together how bad or good they are. But it opens up life to be a bit more of an adventure than simply playing it safe. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for just a minute. Will you just be still? And I, I want to give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you. Because if there's a chance that there are people in this room who've been playing it safe for a long period of time and don't know it, maybe you're so, you're so used to it, you think normal is normal, and this is not who God made you to be. So I want to give him a chance to just intersect with your life right now and to speak to you about how you're either playing it safe or not. So will you, will you just open your heart to listen to what the Spirit might have to say about where you're at with your fear of failure right now? Just keep quiet for a minute. It changed my life when I finally accepted God's view of who I was. I have ideas. This is who I was made to be. He has a place for you in his kingdom. 
He has an identity for you that's bigger than what you come up with. We live in a culture that is self-identifying all of these things right now, and we're taking God's hand out of the picture of telling us who we are. There is some big goal that God has in mind that he wants you to be a part of. Will you quiet your mind and let him talk to you about who he thinks you are? And it might not come immediately, but I want you to look for a picture, an image, anything, a word that God brings to your heart as he tries to tell you this is who I think you are to me. God, we love you. I am convinced that you have incredible plans for our lives. Some that are meant to be lived out in our families, some that are meant to be lived out with friends or at a workplace, or there are some people here who have a bigger agenda that you have for them. You have something that they need to do in the world. So I ask that you would help us shake off this desire to play it safe. That we would listen for the voice that tells us who we are and that we would be that person. That we would bring that into the world. And even if we deal with failure, we're gonna deal, we're gonna deal with it with you. We're going to learn from it. We're going to be expanded by it. And we're going to keep going. God, we thank you for making us on purpose with a purpose. Don't let... God, help us not to let failure ruin our ability to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.